Gamarjoba, and welcome to the History of Sacerdotal Georgia. I'm your host, Roberto, and I'm here to announce that we have another trailer for our newest Patreon episode. This month, we will be looking at the life of Peter the Iberian, a royal prince turned monk, and the first Georgian monk in the Holy Land. Then, we'll figure out if he got his question answered. The question, does Jesus Christ really have two wills? You'll be hearing the first 10 minutes of the next episode. If you do enjoy it, please subscribe to us on Patreon. The levels are there with all the information you need, and the link will be in the episode description. Have a good one. Gamarjoba Patronevi, and welcome to the History of Sacarvelo, Georgia. First off, thank you for subscribing and supporting the show. You're listening to Bonus 3, Peter the Iberian. Peter the Iberian is a bit of a fun episode because he is so different from anyone we have covered so far. He was a monk living in the Holy Land and a monophysite. To keep this brief, a monophysite is someone who believes that Jesus Christ only had one will, not two wills. In other words, while many Christians believe Jesus was both human and divine, the Monophysites believe this was impossible and that his nature was completely divine. There are several other key differences in this, but that explanation is the easiest one because it's in a name, Mono. One. We'll be focusing on Peter's life because there are other podcasts that take a much closer look at the events surrounding the Council of Chalcedon and its main players, such as the history of Byzantium. What we know of Peter the Iberian comes from the writings of his follower, John Rufus, who wrote down what he knew in the Vita Petri Iberi because he thought that God wanted to establish Peter as the leader of the anti-Chalcedonian or Monophysite cause. From this point forward, I will refer to anti-Chalcedonian as AC because it is a mouthful to say repeatedly. The story of Peter the Iberian's birth comes to us in a classic fashion. One day, his father Bosmarios was returning from a countryside retreat when a mysterious man approached him in the street. This man grabbed onto the Kartveli princeling and told him that he would have a son that would become a shining example to everyone that he knew. Bosmarios was stunned and left speechless. He blinked, and the man vanished into thin air. A few months later, his wife, Bakur Duktia gave birth to Nabarnugios, later called Peter, around 409 AD. And his maternal grandfather is Bakur the Iberian, whom we covered in our previous bonus episode. We do have details about the rest of Peter's family, but they don't show up again, so it's not worth mentioning. Now, the ones that are interesting to mention is the people that John Rufus does include in Peter's family, such as a half-sister named Bosmiros Paria, and a great-uncle named Arsilios. This sister was born from a concubine of his father. Bosmarios asked Peter to treat Bosmiros Paria as a true sister. You'd think that a half-sister would be treated as a sister regardless, but that wasn't how things were usually done according to custom. Arsilios, on the other hand, was an extremely chaste man and a dedicated virgin who lived with complete sanctity. I find it interesting that Rufus doesn't try hiding things about Peter's family, such as his half-sister's parentage and the holiness of his uncle. One detail is pretty unsavory, 
but the other would lend credence to Peter's image as a holy man. The inclusion of both makes me think that Rufus's account is more accurate, but we need to remember that he was Peter's follower and he is a religious chronicler for the AC cause, so he was incentivized to make Peter seem better. After his birth, Peter was placed under the care of a woman named Zuzo and her husband Huranios. Their daughter, Ota, became Peter's wet nurse and he stayed with them well into his childhood. They made such a positive impression on the young boy that upon becoming a monk, he included his foster family in the liturgical commemoration for his actual family, showcasing the personal affection and gratitude that he had for the people who had a part in actually raising him. Now, we don't know much about the rest of his childhood, apart from who he stayed with, but we do know that once he became a teenager, he was sent to Constantinople as a hostage of Emperor Theodosius II, the guy whom the Theodosian Walls are named after. You see, the Byzantine Emperor wanted the allegiance of the Kartveli in their constant conflict against the Sassanid Empire. The Kartveli, due to their proximity to both the Persians and Romans, decided that they valued Roman support in case of a war. Their reasoning? Well, both nations were united in their worship of Christ, and this made allying with the Romans all the more easier. So, off to Constantinople Peter went. While there, he was personally raised by the emperor and his wife Eudoxia. Theodosia's sister, Pocheria, was probably influenced Peter's upbringing and education, but Rufus may have omitted that fact since she was a supporter of the Counts of Chalcedon. Pocaria's admission is also odd because she was the one really running the empire and making all the political and administrative decisions. The emperor, Theodosius, was extremely weak-willed and pliable and just wanted to do his own thing, so this allowed for Pucheria to take the reins of rulership. To ensure that she wasn't forcibly married off to wrest power away from her, she undertook a vow of perpetual chastity and under her purview, the palace turned into a quasi-monastery. As a member of the Byzantine royal family, despite his hostage status, Peter more than likely had access to a good, classical education, supported by the opening of multiple universities in the area. Peter was so beloved by the emperor that he indicated he regarded him as a son multiple times. It's also interesting to note that Peter was possibly trilingual and would have known Georgian, Persian, and Greek. Knowing Georgian is understandable, and he may have learned Persian and Greek while either in Constantinople or during his childhood in Kartli, as those would have been part of the spoken court languages in the kingdom. Persian is obviously necessary due to their proximity to the Sassanids. Theodosius ensured that Peter wasn't just studying, though. He placed him in charge of the royal stable. This is probably because the Kartveli have a sort of reputation for being skilled on horseback and with caring for horses. It's easy to imagine Peter spending his youth riding horses and playing polo with great skill when he was less of a contemplative ascetic. Remember how I mentioned that the palace was essentially a monastery under Pocheria? Well, it's easy to see how Peter would have been devoted to prayer and religious asceticism. During his time in the palace, he befriended a man named Mithridatos, who became his religious guide and companion. This Mithridatos is said to be from Lazica, which, as we know, is right next to Kartli, so it makes sense they would bond over their shared or similar cultures. 
Mithridatos was a catalyst for Peter's religious learning and, under his guidance, progressed rapidly in his spirituality. Peter allegedly became a miracle worker with the ability to receive visions and predict future events. Many in the palace didn't see Peter's adherence to his faith as a good thing though. He received multiple complaints from the palace staff that came with him that he wasn't treating them fairly and thus they had no chance to be promoted in the court or use his influence. He merely ignored these complaints as he had more spiritual matters to attend to. He also apparently turned his bedroom into a shrine, using it to store and venerate the relics of Persian martyrs that he brought from Kartli, as they wouldn't have been venerated otherwise. It was at this moment that several people arrived at the palace who forever changed his life and put him on the track to asceticism. The first person he met was an Antiochian deacon named Basil, who filled him with desire for the monastic life through example. Unfortunately, as the son of a Kartveli royal, he had to remain in place. The emperor also invited a woman named Melania the Younger to the palace. Melania was a famous Roman noblewoman who gave up all the wealth she had to become an ascetic on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. After Peter made her acquaintance, her personality and ascetic conduct impressed him so much that he wanted to imitate her example as well. Here, in front of him, he had another noble who gave up everything to become closer to Christ. It was through Melania's influence that Peter found the will and desire to live the ascetic life in the Holy Land. Rufus goes on to state that when Melania met Peter, she took an immediate liking to the young lad because she could see the grace of God resting within him. To me, this sounds like a bit of AC propaganda by Rufus, so he could gain some credence for his movement among the ascetic audience he was addressing. Approaching the emperor, Peter expressed his desire to take to the cloth and make his new home in the Holy Land. Theodosius, probably under the influence of Bocheria, told the young man no, as he was quite the valuable hostage. Peter was taken aback and retreated to his confidant, Mithridatos. Together, they came up with a plan to make their escape from the imperial palace. Working with Mithridatos, he prayed to the Persian martyrs whom he venerated in his room to aid in their escape. The martyrs erupted from their shrine in a pillar of fire, lighting the way for Peter and Mithridatos. <laughs>